Welcome to a special episode of Copio with CISO podcast where we dive into one of the most significant cyber incident in 2023. Today, we have the privilege of hosting an exceptional guest, Azril Rahim, an experienced management consultant with a remarkable background in the cybersecurity industry. Today's episode is unique, deviating from my regular format to focus on the recent Movit hack, an incident that has sent shockwaves through the cybersecurity community. With Azril's expertise, we will explore the intricacies of the attack, dissect the vulnerabilities exploited, and discuss the broader implications of our interconnected world. Please join us giving a warm welcome to our esteemed guests as we embark on this thought-provoking journey, gaining invaluable insights and charting a path to strengthen our defenses against evolving cyber threats. Welcome to the show, Azril. Hi, thank you. So let's get started. Can you tell us a bit about your journey in the field of cybersecurity and what led you to your current role at TNB? Okay, um... Actually, my journey into cybersecurity started quite a long time ago. I'm actually a very passionate person in cybersecurity. The real uh, work that I've done for cybersecurity professionally started in the 1997. That will be on my first job. Uh, I think uh, at that time uh, in America, I was studying in America. Uh, they were looking for, uh, I would say security people to manage the system uh, due to the Y2K. So I was fortunate and was studying at the right time, at the right place. And then there were massive uh, hiring in, in for, for, for Y2K. So I was a part of that uh, intake. The journey started earlier. Uh, I have a very passionate in cybersecurity. So some of the things that I've done are actually self-learning. Uh, only in 1997, when I started my professional work, I have done, I'm doing cybersecurity you know, 100% for money. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, yes, exactly. So, um, and after, uh, in two, 2001, um, after I finished my H1B visa, I returned back to Malaysia and I worked with Sapura, focusing, doing uh, bios engineer. But then, um, uh, at that time, Sapura was actually um IT company. They were actually doing some contracts for the government, especially for the military. So I involved more on the BIOS, um, but focusing on developing device driver security module. And after that, I moved to MIMOS, um, whereby I'm doing uh, projects on uh, computer forensics and actually won a lot of awards. Um, and I moved to Impact. This is where I met you, Siva. Yep. Oh, yes. Uh, so Impact is a bit different because that the Impact is more on towards um, consulting. So uh, I switch uh, between uh, doing um, you know defense and more on towards risk management. So this is the part that I develop my listening skill, my consultancy skills, strategy when I was in Impact. However, my my work with Impact is actually quite short lived. And uh, but then some of the work that I've done with Impact got um, I would say uh, interest from a company called Infoblox. So this is where I met uh, with the SVP Engineering Infoblogs. And so they were they led my, my projects with Impact. And then they will offer me a position there as a senior security researcher uh, to develop a new module for their um, products. Uh, but um, uh, life in um, Silicon Valley uh, is not that 
uh, as uh, beautiful as they said, uh, working with InfoBlock for two years is already considered as quite long. So when the InfoBlock get uh, projects with the government and they were required um, for the personnel to be uh, fully American or if you have a, you know, American citizen. So unfortunately, the group, uh, the, the team, the engineering team for cybersecurity was about 25 people and only two of them, only the uh, American. So the rest of us are being, you know, uh, replaced. However, due to some of the, I would say, um, intellectual property that we hold uh, with InfoBlock, so we can't work with any competitors. Right. And this is the part that, uh, you know, I actually work, uh, I think like the first eight months, I work as a freelance. I developed some application freelance. I got projects from internet until I land uh, actually a, a six-month project with uh, Tanaga National as a, as a consultant for threat intelligence. So at first that uh, working as a consultant, you know, just typical freelance projects. Uh, but then um, uh, my work, my 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 skills and, you know, my experience got caught by the, at that time was the chief strategy officer for Tanaga. And he pretty much liked my profile and liked my attitude as well as my experience. So they actually offered me a job. So I worked, um, you know, with Tanaga, I think four years as a contract. And uh, the last two years, I built a job as a permanent um, threat intelligence uh, for the entire cybersecurity operation in Tanaga. So in TMB, uh, even though I'm a, a threat intelligence, but my work is a bit different uh, because um, TMB has a different concept of threat intelligence management, whereby I pretty much focus on advising the key stakeholders, uh, project owners, on uh, strategy threat intelligence. Um, just to give a context, what does it mean by strategy threat intelligence? For example, let's say that uh, if a company wants to... to uh, go into a business and, you know, in this case that let's say they, they want to use WhatsApp for business and they need to know what will be their risk to use uh, certain tools like WhatsApp for business. So this is the part that um, as a threat intelligence, I have to look into the business, understand the business and look the adoption of uh, WhatsApp for business uh, to ensure that the, the, the operation will actually meet uh, regulation, for example, like ISO 2001, and maybe meet to meeting the law requirement and so on and so forth. Uh, however, uh, to put in perspective that TMB has um, two concepts of cybersecurity. One is uh, public facing, which is more focusing on the B2B and the B2C. Another one is actually on enterprise. So for the time being, I look into more into B2C and also B2B. So to give an example of B2B and B2C will be the mighty MB. So I pretty much uh, in charge in the, in the whole overall operations and also the strategic deliverables for mighty MB. Mighty MB app. So mighty MB, uh, yeah, mighty MB ecosystem. There's yeah. an app, yeah. there's uh, monitoring, uh, I suppose. Monitoring, I think, yes. Kid, Azrael, you know, yeah. uh, this is a special episode. Um, usually I publish my episode uh, twice a month. So mm -hmm. this is the first time that I'm doing a, a middle of the month kind of a, a publication, really yep. given the 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 movie hack, right? Yes. Yes. And I just know, but to give a bit of a context, the sudden or rather the emergence of ransomware attacks worldwide have put businesses and governments on high alert, right? Um, that really highlighting the crucial importance of cybersecurity in today's digital age, and mm. and you know. By aligning to that, the recent um, attack on Movit app 
the secure file transfer software developed by a company called Progress Software, right? So mm-hmm. that's a stark mm-hmm. reminder of the ever-evolving threats that organizations face. And, and right. you know, to make it worse, Movit, trusted by businesses globally, got hacked. And it's supposed to be a secure file transfer app, right? And in begs the question, the company that's supposed to provide you with security, and they get hacked, <laughs> right? So, so now going back to the, the hack itself, the attack itself reveals the vulnerability of even uh, secure file transferring software to hacking. As someone involved in cybersecurity, and as you mentioned that you specialize in cyber threat intelligence, you know, your day-to-day job entails you using the CTI to business context, right? So how right. did this specific incident resonate with you? Okay, um, actually the attack on the file transfer for movie is not the kind of like uh, something new. I think I think back in 2019, 2018, there was actually attack on the Esalon Kiteworks. Right. All right. So, but if you look into, okay, actually if, uh, actually, if you look deep into this, what we call file transfer ecosystem, right? So, movie is actually not the most used, widely used uh, file transfer. I think, um, I forgot, uh, during my research, I think there's a, a movie is like somewhere in the rank of 23rd, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So what what interesting is that the 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 I mean I would say the the number one customer for movie was the U.S. government. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think uh, this actually uh, brings a movie attack into the attention. I think because it actually involved the U.S. government. I think almost uh, entire U.S. government, including the military as well as their intelligence uh, community, use movie to actually do file transfer or file sharing. So that's one that kept, caught the attention. Uh, I think if this movie is not used by the US government, I think you, the impact or the, the what we call this this uh, story would not, you know, boom as it is. Hmm. But there were also big names fell victim of this attack, right? Like BBC, correct. British Airways, and PWC, KPMG. That is correct. So, uh, I think, uh, as I said, a lot of companies are using it, but mm-hmm. the, the one that made actually the headline is the uh, the US uh, government as well as their intelligence community. Right. When you look into this, what we call how we want to manage this risk is that the one thing is that what I try to actually, if I try to advise, right, I mean, like, uh, you can actually use any fast transfer that you want. I you know you can use... Uh, typical, you know, SSH to achieve to a transfer for you. But here's the thing, because um, movie actually advertised that they are actually uh, FIPS government, federal information processing comp- uh, compliance, as, as well as other PCIDSS, so HIPAA, mm-hmm. as well as IMOC. So this is uh, their what we call, I would say, their marketing strategy, and. And then uh, most of this company who actually using movie are actually hosting the data. So the data itself, I think, is one of the honeypots for attackers. Um, you know, motivates them to actually compromise the company. Understand, understand. Yeah. So can you provide more context around the reported SQL injection vulnerability in movie that has allowed hackers to gain access to database structure and content? How has this issue affected? you know, 
major organisations and what measures are being taken to remedy this situation? Okay, I'll try to answer it uh, less technical. So from my reading, um, I found out that this um, attack was actually tracked all the way in 2019. So I think, uh, you know, by looking into some of the logs uh, collected, you know, those those companies who actually been compromised by Movit. So what happened is that, that during their incident, they actually provide the logs. So some of the company who actually been compromised, the log, the log activity uh, towards this attack has actually started all the way in 2019. I think only by 2023, the, the attacker actually perfected the techniques of, uh, you know, compromise movie through this SQL injection. But as you can see that the, there are actually three, there are three CVEs, right, related to this uh, movie attack. But I think the, right. the most important one is the, the, the first one which is exploiting the SQL injection. I think the other two variants is also similar to SQL injection, but uh, different, I would say, exploitation. So uh, I guess that if you read some of the uh, articles coming from Hunters.com, uh, CISA organization, and what else? Huh? I forgot from Mendian, if not mistaken. Um, they detail out the actual uh, TTPs. But the only POC that you can find on the internet is actually coming from Hunters.com. But this Hunters.com is actually POC based on their understanding and the logs they have collected from the uh, previous incident. But the actual exploitation by the attacker is actually quite unknown. Um, but safely to say that uh, the SQL injection is actually have three phases. One, they actually try to find the entry point to do the SQL injection, uh, which is to get the, uh, what we we'll call this one, the uh, username of the system admin. Once the you initial get access. Initial access, okay. They will, they, once they get, and then they actually pivoted it into uh, getting the tokens. Mm -hmm. So username is actually initial access and then the token. So the token is actually required for you to actually uh, do a lateral movement and the third one once they get the uh, the system admin they got a token to do the file and then that's the part that they can actually uh send the file through the sql injection and then from there they will have a persistent so as you can see actually um there are a lot of uh, persistent file uh, i think the poc was actually uh, uploading a, a web shell some other example, they actually uploading the clock ransomware malware. All right. So I think from my reading, uh, there are actually a lot of uh, threat actors involved in this attack. It's not only one, maybe there are more. Uh, uh, but uh, I think the one of the modus operandi is actually they uploading the clock ransomware. So uh, so I guess that the the website, the the the, the dark web website, the clock leaks, right? It's actually a, a kind of like an advertisement website that any actors who are actually using the clock to advertise there. So I'm assuming that's the reason why uh, why this uh, attacker uh, required the, their victim to give them a call instead they contacted directly. I think maybe because there are too many. Too many, <laughs> yes. So they won't be able to keep track. And then they also do not know whether they are actually attacking a company who are, you know, financial or maybe insurance or maybe governments. Surprisingly, they said that the, they don't attack government's uh, institution and they deleted the data, but we do not know how far the claim is true or not. 
but I think they are more on the uh, you know financial and money money motivation motivated. So I right. think that's the reason why they need they need you to call because I think if you run the show then which is I did, you can see a lot of people actually using movie. <laughs> not as much, right. but then you can actually identify you can fingerprint the movie server. I think by doing that they also do not know. Uh, because you can just simply run those um, uh, say syntax and then you just simply compromise and then you know just download the data. So going back to you know one of the questions that I asked earlier, mm-hmm. given this attack, um, what are the measures do you think that being taken by these victim organizations to remedy the situation? Like you know, are they mm-hmm. you know deactivating or, or or stop using this this application? Mm-hmm. Or are they, you know, uh, bringing back data to their data center on-prem? Mm-hmm. So based on your research, what are the okay. changes that, you know, or rather the immediate steps that these companies have been okay. taking? Great. So um, actually, if you look into this, um, the setup of this movie, the one that got compromised is the, uh, I think, I would say their dashboard, the, the web UI. So the web UI is actually the way that, you know, as a, uh, to give some sort of like a user experience for you to look into your dashboard and then to look into your data in a more user-friendly. But the back end, I still, uh, they still claim that the back end is still using the typical SFTP, which is a secure file transfer and so on and so forth. So by some of the recommendation is actually to disable the HTTPS and then, you know, uh, you still can use the the normal uh, FTP SFTP operation, uh, and then you can still access this UI uh, uh, locally without using internet. Right. So it means that the, the only thing that is actually compromising is the web the web UI for the movie uh, transfer. So the attacker actually accessing uh, the they use this uh, web UI uh, interface uh, to actually. Uh, execute this SQL injection in order to get access and you know try to upload those files for remote remote code injection. So I think uh, the recommendation, um, which is to disable the HTTPS and uh, or using that UI uh, locally, is still okay. I would say it's okay. So, the, but then the only thing I can uh, that actually pops into my head is that according to Movit, that uh, all the data which is at rest. And also in transit is actually encrypted. So the, the question is that if the data address is actually encrypted, how does the movie uh, ransomware gangs be able to decrypt the data address? So right. that's the question. My question is that whether the data is actually encrypted or not, this is a this is a, actually a dilemma. Right. So because right. because the movie claim they said the data address is actually encrypted, but if I get a file of encrypted file, definitely I do not know what's the context or the data inside the encrypted file. So I'm assuming that uh, there must be something wrong. So I guess that on top of the recommendation that you need to also to fall back into your data security lah. I would say whether you should encrypt the data based on your maybe you know your, your let's say that i would like to upload this file uh, maybe you you zip it and then you encrypt it before you actually upload using move it because you can't just simply trust the system to encrypt the file for you so i think that uh, the encryption the file encryption or the encryption policy inside your company for a sensitive data still 
plays any very important role. So you cannot just simply depends on the technology. What you're saying is that even though we subscribe mm. to secure file transfer technologies or applications Correct. like this, it yes. is also important for us to take our own additional steps to ensure yes. that our device is really secure, right. right? So you need yeah. to put in place multiple layers of security. That is correct. And which, you know, brings me to wonder, where does it stop? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then I know, but, uh, you know, the doing this encryption takes a lot of time. But yep. uh, but then there's a part that uh, you have to have a data governance. Any security data, you should encrypt using your own kind of like a policy. Mm-hmm. Do not depend much on the technology because uh, actually, you know, in this case, that, that if you actually use the technology that you not have any controls on the encryption part that, you know, you should do your own kind of like uh, security controls. I know uh, a lot of co- uh, people will actually complain because security is actually quite, a, you know, time-consuming, uh, too many, too many, I would say, process. But um, um, uh, having a very clear policy, uh, maybe a process, a very clear process, a policy will actually, you know, uh, helps to to mitigate this problem. I think uh, maybe at the first 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 two attempt to change the behavior is actually quite tough. But then once it become a norm, I think this process of you know doing your own encryption before you upload to any cloud or any system which is within your not within your control, you know, will help to actually minimize that uh, minimize this kind of like a risk. I agree. So the key is data governance. And then you know, just getting it down to you know yes. the mm-hmm. data classification policies mm-hmm. and, and so on and so forth, right? Correct. Now let's discuss on the wider implications of this data breach. We know that companies like BBC, British Airways, PwC, and even closer to home, right? You know, Prudential mm-hmm. uh, Insurance yep. Company in Malaysia were among those affected by this movie attack. So mm-hmm. can you elaborate on the immediate? and long-term implications of this attack? Like, you know, do you foresee that companies will shift their strategy in the way that they use third-party applications? Um, Would they then start, you know, developing um, in-house applications with regards to data security? You mentioned that, you know, or you proposed rather, right? You know, uh, companies should, take additional measures on their own to, you know, apply mm. encryption before uploading and all that. So that's one of them. But, you know, mm. broadly, what do you think would be the impact to the businesses that provide these movie-like services? Mm, good question. Because I think, um, you know, like many, many years ago, I think back in the 90s that um, we have this, what we call the identity theft. Uh, actually, in the US, that people, when they have the information of a person, they can actually fake the identity. For example, like one of the mostly what used use cases of identity theft is actually they fake uh, the, what we call this uh, prescription. For example, like if I actually know this person is actually an elderly, I will be able to steal the identity and then I actually fake the, the what we call the, the drugs prescription and I actually buy the drugs. Right. And using those drugs, I can actually sell to other people. So this is what we call one of the use cases of identity theft. Um, but now that um, I think as we move forward through all the year, that uh, most of the attacker prefer to actually steal uh, information, especially uh, the username like email and maybe the password. But I think 
those kind of like um, data is actually no longer relevant because you can just simply once you notice that the data has been leaked out you can just simply issue a organization wide wide relation to actually change the password that actually solve the problem so i think that the in the context of this movie when they actually get all this information i think information about individual pretty much that uh, i say actually the current best practice is actually to tell for example because i'm a i'm a prudential uh, policy holder and then i got this this notification that the prudential has been compromised and then you should expect that somebody maybe third party will actually use your information to do other activities you know like scamming for example right but my worry is more on the i would say how the attacker will actually use your credential not to scam you but to use your identity to scam other things for example i give you an example let's say that uh, i'm a crypto jacker right i want to host um, a, a crypto mining server let's say if i have a credential of a person then i will can i can they can go to tenaga national for example to apply for a ca account because with those information they can actually create a, you know a fake ic and they can also verify all those credentials maybe like your home address your your next fkin so and then maybe some of your last transaction and so on so forth to tell the other you know officer or the system to say that, yeah i'm the right person actually it's not so these are the things that i think that uh, it would be an impact to another company not to the owner of the data but the other company maybe person can actually use my information to apply a loan for example i do not know this is uh, i would say um, kind of like a scam that does not use computers it's more on like social engineering to treat other people to give some you know credential loans prescription and then they use your information to actually do a social engineering so i'm right. assuming this would be some sort like a, a, a result from 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 this attack another attack is actually if they manage to capture government secrets so they don't use this information uh, to compromise the government but actually to do other things uh, you can just simply imagine all those like um, you know spy thingy and everything so it's not just limited to scamming or maybe just simply to get your access to compromise your company so you have to think big because the information that captures are mostly um i would say uh nothing related to the system compromise it's actually more on towards who you are for example like prudential i'm not sure how uh, how much data that they actually captured and they can actually use that data to imitate myself and then you know to do other scamming so azril recently hmm. you became famous uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of a celebrity status if you will yeah. right yeah. and and you highlighted certain gaps or shortcomings with regards to how cybersecurity is implemented in Malaysia at policy level or strategic level at national level right right um i can't help but to think that you know you might also be interested to play a role one day being in the mm-hmm. forefront of national strategic level this is only my personal opinion right team malaysia is actually quite blessed because that we have you know like local talents local talents uh, you know local companies that can actually do cybersecurity projects cybersecurity services as well as product so i think the government also have a very i would say ambition to make uh, malaysia as a 
cyber security powerhouse, especially in ASEAN countries. So, but then throughout my years, um, you know, doing cyber security in Malaysia, I found out that we have a very kind of like ambitious idea, good, maybe uh, I would say good intention, good, good end games uh, can actually allocate a nice budget to actually, you know, do all these things. But the only problem that there's no clear implementation. So I think that we have all the blueprints, but then we don't know how to implement those blueprints. So my, my question is that um, why? Why we have good ideas, good endgame, but poor on executing the strategic values. So I think that uh, this needs to be changed because I think that, um, you know, for the last 20, 20 years, I think I would say that the only agency in Malaysia that can play a huge impact will be CSM. And I think that CSM can and should deliver the implementation. However, uh, that has not been capitalized by them. So that's the reason why in the town hall, I try to suggest, um, you know, some ideas and to see that, you know, how can CSM be more, uh, uh, being a good implementer? But that is just an idea because I know that uh, the idea is actually coming from me. And, you know, since that my experience is actually doing, you know, project implementation, I also do strategy. And then I can actually say that myself, I'm more uh, a, a person that can drive the implementation. So what I did was try to, you know, use, uh, try to leverage on my experience and to see that, you know, whether, you know, this experience can actually turn into action. So that's the reason why the question was at the town hall, uh, meant for cybersecurity as well as uh, our Mr. Wabi Fami to actually ponder. Of course, those questions is just to provoke, uh, to get some attention, but I'm more happy to actually share my ideas. I know how to actually make uh, the cybersecurity kind of like a community or ecosystem in Malaysia will be benefited for all. But the goal is actually how to mix uh, Malaysia as a cybersecurity powerhouse. Not only that uh, we promote cybersecurity, but as well to bring you know knowledge economy from cybersecurity services and product. I totally agree with you there. Especially the goal uh, mm -hmm. or the intention was to yes. trigger discussion, right? And mm -hmm. I'm very yes. sure the question that you pose would have triggered all kind of uh, questions, so. discussions, yeah, and I... all that in many platforms, right? right? right. So yeah, right. yep, noble thinking i i totally agree with you now mm. switching gear earlier you mentioned that you know this club ransomware gang they're nothing new right you know i think they were they, they were linked to major cyber attacks in the past i think they their name came up during the Acelion uh, attack as well mm -hmm. um but they are making a comeback right uh, can you provide more insights into these uh, kind of threat actors right what makes okay. their strategy particularly effective right. like you know if you, if they've done it before with Acelion and then they're doing it again right. with Movit that means there must be something that they are doing right so what is okay. that so the club is not actually a ransomware group it's not actually a threat the club is actually a ransomware malware so I think uh, they got I think like a few version I think the, the current version is the second version the second variant but uh, as I said before to from what I've look into the threat intelligence and from what I read that the, the cloud ransomware gang is actually not limited to one threat actor. I think there are a lot of tractors that actually uh, use this, uh, you know, this uh, SQL injection 
uh, vulnerabilities on Movit and then uploading the cloud reservoir. Right. But the only the only threat actor which is actually you know quite famous associated to this cloud reservoir it will be the list temp the list tempers is American. So list tempers is actually a a name or threat actor name was given uh, given by Microsoft. Right. So I think every every you know I'm sure that you know Kaspersky have the different name. <laughs> I, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, list tempers. But I, from my reading, I am just uh, I I'm 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 totally sure that there's actually more than just one tractor that use this club. So that's why they call it as a club ransomware gang because actually there's more tractors that are actually using it. Only that the uh, those who are actually using the club ransomware, they advertise the the what I call the compromised company on the websites i think the websites only appeared on certain time and after that they taken down if you go into tor you can actually you know use a tor browser and then use the tor directory to find this club uh, leaks now moving on much talked about topic now is ai driven cyber attack right mm-hmm. and then now with chat gpt and all that that is right. like right <laughs> um rapidly evolving if you will right. so right. can you discuss the potential future of ai driven cyber attacks you know how real is this threat and what steps should organizations take to prepare actually when you talk about this ai i think a lot of people misunderstood between ai and machine learning right, right. Right, so uh, AI has its own kind of like uh, branch. Machine learning also have a different branch. But since that Tanaga National is actually um, you know a company that actually value cybersecurity and then we put a lot of um, budgets on improving our cybersecurity. Um, so it's kind of like a cash cow for all uh, you know vendors try to sell the product to Tanaga. So one of the things that we actually do in order to recognize whether that solution has a potential is actually to evaluate the technical the technical ability of the system for example um i think one of the you know vendors who actually wanted to sell edr uh, endpoint detection response some of them claim that they have ai okay but then when we try to evaluate the ai is more like a machine learning rather right. than ai i guess uh, this is the i would say how do we evaluate whether that solution has ai or has machine learning so this is always the dilemma because actually to be honest that if you ask people who actually do data science they can actually differentiate between ai and and, and machine learning but to my point is that uh, to have an ai uh, a solution that drive by ai is actually very good because uh, as we know that um, um, the most i would say impact uh, of our work cell the impactful uh, activities in detecting um i would say uh, false positive and so false negative is actually the uh, whether our analyst be able to sustain the you know the 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 amount of data that comes to them to distinguish between whether this is a false positive or false negative so having an ai will actually helps a lot right. to reduce this what we call this this problem uh, it's just that which ai is the best depends on the you know on the concept of the system you have to be very careful in understanding the ai so like it or not it is our responsibility as a cybersecurity uh, when we want to do this uh, uh, strategy for edr or any what we call um, uh, defensive control to ask properly how does the ai work 
or maybe if we can get some sort like a sample of you know some of the you know issues that we have and then to see that whether they are be able to solve our our issues so i think the ai is more to actually reduce the we call this one uh, to help the the analyst Uh, to make a better decision, not to actually solve the entire, you know, detection problem. Right. So back to the question with the threat, mm. you know, or the threat actors using AI to launch cyber attacks. And yeah. the short answer to that is we go and get the best AI-based security tool yes. out there to be yes. to implement. To be, to, to be, to be honest, right. To be honest, right. <laughs> If you look into into the solution, right, for example, like, uh, you know, um, the, 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 what we call this, or the security solutions, right, will always have a two years delay. Because why? Because, you know, uh, you don't create a product or create a solution, security solution, uh, just after one event. So, uh, you know, You learn something and yeah, then you create a, a solution that solve that problem. But then we always have this two years delay. Yeah, you need But to go through the attacker, Yes, we'll use the AI. Yeah. But as I said, that um, um, one solution would not solve one problem. So this is the part that you know you have to do a proper study and strategy. That you know maybe uh, you have EDR that you need to couple it with other you know solution. Maybe like uh, NDR network detection and response. And then you know manage it to SIM. So all these security controls may have their own AI, but then what you want to do is uh, you have a defense in depth layer. So you don't depend on on one solution, but you actually couple it with one or two other controls. Right. Uh, it may not be able to stop the attack if the attack is actually targeted, but I would say that you would be able to stop all those. Uh, I think maybe 85%, 90% are uh, uh, what we call uh, general attacks. But if the company is being targeted, not much. Uh, I mean, if you invest to uh, a lot of solutions also, you will not be able to actually run away from it. I mean, like that is the truth, right? If you're being Absolutely. targeted, you can run away. Mm. Absolutely. That's what I always tell my stakeholders mm. as well, right? Just don't be the low-hanging fruit. Out there, do your cyber right. hygiene. Put in place yes. necessary controls. Always, always, always keep right. your your tech refresh uh, on time. Correct. That's Then very important. Because... We'll just move move to another target because right. they, right. they are also impatient. They are not they, they are not invested. Right. You know into right. really targeting right. you and unless like you mentioned, right? If you are really yeah. really targeted, they will try right. any means available out there to to breach right. you. <laughs> right. So I think I think a lot of organization is that uh, of course definitely they are actually under budget. But that does not mean that you know you should uh, you know neglect your cybersecurity. You can always use open source. I, I'm not against any open source. You can use any open source security controls. You know you can use or open source SIM. Uh, it, it will help. But yeah. unfortunately, if you actually an enterprise company like Tanaga National, which is heavily regulated, right, uh, using open source with the SLE is actually a no go. It will actually break your compliance. So you have to look into your company kind of like an appetite. But the most important part is that the security not only you use that system to do the monitoring and also to do some you know is the response. Tech refresh also very important because maybe for this year you are using let's say uh, you know antivirus A is actually very efficient, but later on maybe the company is actually bungkus or maybe flop. Then you need to look into uh, another solution which is uh, you know a tech refresh. So a lot mm -hmm. of companies I think that. I'm not sure about banks, but then, you know, tech refresh is 
always be like two years or three years, you should look back into your requirement. Failure to do that, it will actually result you to, you know, uh, as I said, it's like a running a legacy system, even though it's not legacy, but in cybersecurity, everything is actually moving fast. Even sometimes a six-month uh, solution, which we, that is actually not properly evaluated also can lead to, you know, security compromise. Right. That refresh a policy, you know, keep updating is actually a must, especially for big organization enterprise that actually serving customer. I would urge, you know, to have a very strong policy. Uh, you are not a SME. You are actually a company that has been uh, is regulated. Have a customer. You need to put focus on that service program. What we have been discussing has been all about third-party risk management, right? Third-party risk management is very close to my heart. Uh, in my current role, I mm-hmm. I deal with that a lot until you know it 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 really really um, frustrates me uh, sometimes yes. because yep. my company uh, services financial industry uh, primarily, mm-hmm. and you can imagine, right? You know, all these banks and insurers they impose mm-hmm. all kind of requirements they extend rmit owners and all that right and third party risk is is a huge huge thing so on that note um, if you had a chance to do something totally different with regard to how organizations or especially your organization right handle third party risk what would that be (laughs) i don't see any way that you can actually escape uh, (laughs) not handle third party risk I think the bigger okay, let, you let, are, let, let, the bigger let you are, right? The, let me rephrase the question, right? So, yeah, you cannot escape. But, uh-huh. you know, people are doing third-party risks. I'm not uh-huh. so sure to what extent you do. Like, I, uh, if I have 100 customers, then I have to, you know, uh, fill up questionnaires, you know, attend mm. uh, assessment meetings and all that, mm. you know, for mm. all the 100 customers. So, mm-hmm. it, it leads to um, uh, third-party risk fatigue, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. my question is, if, you had a chance to do it differently uh, as opposed to the traditional way. How would you do it? Hmm. I would say not doing differently. Maybe I would say that I add some additional values to actually evaluate the third party. Um, so I guess that um, this is the part that um, you need to have a bit of wisdom. For example, like me, what I would do is actually uh, I put uh, additional scope of work, scope of work into the contracts and maybe... Uh, you know, one of the criteria on, you know, getting them on board is actually allowing us to actually evaluate them on certain uh, baseline, mm-hmm. right? Um, yes, true that uh, if you are you know, if you're actually using a third party, okay, you somehow like the idea is actually transferring the risk to them, right? But doesn't mean that transferring risk to them, you just simply let it go. So this is the part that you have to actually put some sort of like a consideration that even though I'm 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 transferring the risk to you, I have the rights to actually evaluate you. But how do you want to evaluate? This is up to you. It's up to the company. But I would say that um, you know you can you can you can ask them for example. Let's say okay, I mean, can I get your you know your certification, right? Your 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 credential and so on so forth. But then you evaluate them quarterly, not quarterly. Quarterly is actually quite fast, <laughs> maybe annual. Um, and then you know, I think I think that's one of the one of the easiest thing to do. But as I said, that um, you know, you can actually add additional verification if you want 
depends on how your company would like to evaluate. For example, they said that if you actually asking the, the third party to actually manage your data, you know, you can actually set, uh, you know, like in your contract, right, the scope of work is that one of the things that uh, our company will actually evaluate your process again and again, or maybe you see that, uh, you know, to ensure that the process is actually following the best standards, for example. Right. The point is that you have to play a role to evaluate them using technology. For example, that maybe you said, oh, I want to use my VA to evaluate your system. One thing, you can use technology or you can enforce uh, policy. Uh, that, however, I think this is, has to come into the contracts. That would be me. Uh, I don't think other extreme kind of like approach will do unless uh, the company willingly to wanted to make business with you. But as I said, evaluation or will be the best way to go. Um, you know, it's up to your company to evaluate whether using a technology or you just use simply a checklist. But you have to actually intrude the process and look into it, not just simply let it go. Right. Azrael, one last question from me. Uh, okay. This is a customary question that I ask all my guests. Okay. Outside of your professional life, what do yes. you enjoy doing in your spare time with your personal life? I love photography. I spend a lot photography just because it's my passion. So photography and cybersecurity is also my passion. Uh, the, the reason why I call passion is because in photography, I spend quite a lot of money on buying my cameras, my lens, and actually I spend my money to go travel just to get pictures for competition. So wow. the keyword here is actually I spend my own money. Same goes to the cybersecurity. Actually, I use my own money to, uh, you know, to take certification, to attend conferences overseas, and as well to actually, you know, develop my own, um, you know, software or maybe some, you know, snippets. So the point is that I actually take some part of my, um, you know, money and so my time to actually enjoying my passion. That's pretty much I do. And another thing is actually I love motorcycles. So, you know, I have like three motorcycles. Oh, really? <laughs> all, all big bikes. So one's okay. for adventure. One is actually for, you know, like a weekend touring. And another one nice. is uh, my scooter just to go to the office. Uh, I only have one car. And, you know, the reason why I actually love motorcycles because, um, you know, maybe for non-bikers, you will not be able to understand it. But, you know, uh, motorcycle and also photography is a way for me to release the tension. Right. Uh, not to think about technical stuff. It's more pretty much abstract and subjective. So that's pretty much I actually spend my time. Uh, I'm not really a gamer. Uh, the only thing, uh, the only game I think I played for a uh, computer game I played for the last 15 years is... Um, uh, what you call this one? The the blizzard. Oh, you don't ask me, man. I'm not a gamer as well. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I play FIFA and Championship Manager and all yes. that, right? But I, I do have, a, you know, like a PlayStation, but actually I never played that one. But uh, that's one game. Um, because it's a network game. Um, but uh, that rarely, only if I actually, you know, wanted to challenge someone, that I actually go with it. But uh, most of the time, I spend my time on, you know, photography, uh, no, cybersecurity reading as well as my motorcycle. I like okay. it, Azrael. So, Azrael, <laughs> this has been a fantastic session. Uh, I okay. really enjoyed speaking with you. Yep. Now, if let's say, you know, our listeners I'll find you somewhere, where would that? Actually, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, mm-hmm. Just type my name, Azrael Rahim. Um, that is my cybersecurity professional, I would say, call sign. 
because if you search under Azri Azam Abdul Rahim, which is my full name, mostly they come out is actually my photography work. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, I do love to spend time on, you know, becoming a speaker and panelist for cybersecurity. But however, I think for general cybersecurity, I don't put much time uh, because I kind of like uh, focusing more on the uh, IT, OT, sorry, the OT as well as the uh, UTT energy industry, which is uh, has more, I would say, problems in cybersecurity and pretty much I would like to become the expert in this area. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I am actually... So, so you mentioned uh, OT. Uh, hmm. yeah, I, I realized, right? I mean, hmm. you mentioned yep. that there are a lot of problems, but it's something that does not get widespread attention. Right. People don't really talk about that, right? Yeah, it's true because actually, to be honest, that um, uh, a lot of us actually working with IT, but not much on OT because I think this OT is not really, I would say, um, I would say it's a kind of like a very niche environment for most of us. But right. then uh, OT environment is actually more expensive as well as actually more damaging compared to IT, IT, IT cyber attack. I, I, if you actually in this area, in this domain, right, you see that uh, the impact of cybersecurity in OT, especially in the industrial control, are far more huge compared to attack on the banks uh, because uh, most attacks, whether it is a general attack or a targeted attack in OT is actually completely compromised. Right. If you if you do ransomware attack on OT environment, definitely it's a, it's a, it's a pure 100% compromise. There's no such thing you can do a backup and then just simply, you know, you know, like in, in IT, you can do your DR, right? But in OT, it's impossible to actually do that. Yeah, and also in OT, you are talking about potential Correct. Correct. Uh, loss of lives, right? And whereas Correct. in IT, you're only talking about data Correct. loss. Yes, but the the only good things about this OT, uh, this industrial control system domain is that um, the attacker, the, the attacks in OT is actually pretty much very expensive. So I don't think any attacker would like to invest their money just to compare, compromise and you know, OT environment. It's actually very expensive, you know, in order to do an attack is actually, you need to have a, you know, good funder in order to compromise it. But, you know, we can talk about the OT security and then some of the example of attack and why I say it's actually very expensive in or maybe on other times. Um, but then as we move into this IoT, uh, I think um, maybe most of us will actually get the sense why why you know the the the, the problem is in, in, in OT cybersecurity and then how to defend it is actually a different kind of like a, a profile but maybe on other time that like, we can talk about that it, yep yep absolutely you have given me some ideas i guess yes. you know our next topic can be OT yes. security i'm not yes. an expert but i suppose you know yes i think I'll i think it's good to, to have listeners which from from it to understand what we the OT i think uh, it's just a matter of time. Uh, once we actually merge between IT and OT and we have IoT, uh, that should be a domain that, you know, combine both worlds together. So I think we are actually moving towards that area and I think it's good kind of like a, a discussion for us to actually prepare, especially, you know, um, you know, our, our, our students, uh, you know, new people that come into the, you know, cybersecurity kind of like environment, they, sh they should be aware about this ITOT kind of like uh, overlapping uh, because we can't escape. We can't escape. Absolutely. You know, everything is already, you know, smart. You have a smart lamp, smart appliance. You can't, can't run away between 
managing those IPOT lah. Okay, Azrael, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Appreciate. Really hoping that you know we can do another show very okay. soon. Yes. Okay, take care, man. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. Okay, thank you. All right.